0: When I discovered the connection between ancient Greek physicians and dreams, it tied together the two major parts of my life, medicine and depth psychology, in a new way. I didn't learn about this in medical school. In this mini-sode, I'm going to tell you the story of Asclepius, Greek god of healing, and how patients were healed in his name through dreams. and welcome to The Stuff of Dreams. I'm your host, Amy Lawson, MD, practicing pediatrician. I also have a master's degree in depth psychology, specifically in Jungian and archetypal studies. My goal is to connect you with your dreams in a more fun and meaningful way so that you can interpret the messages your unconscious is sending. All right. So today we're going to talk about a topic that I find completely fascinating, which is the dream healing that occurred in the Asclepian temples in ancient Greece. So first, I'm going to tell you the story of Asclepius and how he came to be. And then we'll talk about these amazing complexes that were built in his honor and what they did with dreams there. So, Asclepius was the son of a god and a human. His father was the god Apollo, and his mother was a human princess named Coronis. But after conceiving a baby with the god Apollo, Coronis decided to take a human lover instead. Um, and that really bothered Apollo and hurt his pride. So, he sent his sister, the goddess Artemis, to kill Coronis with one of her deadly arrows. So, as Coronus's dead body is burning on the funeral pyre, Apollo decides all of a sudden, "Mm, maybe my child doesn't need to be punished for the actions of his mother. And so he cut Asclepius from his mother's womb, which was basically the first Caesarean section in history. There's a little tidbit for you. And he sent Asclepius to Chiron the Centaur to be taught about the art of healing. And so Asclepius grew up to be a really remarkable physician. He was already a good doctor, but then the goddess Athena shared with him the blood of Medusa, the beheaded Gorgon, and Medusa's blood could bring mortals back to life. It could also poison people. And so the gods start to see Asclepius's healing skill as a threat to them because it was making humans closer to immortal because Asclepius could save so many of them. And Hades, the god of the underworld, was also annoyed because fewer people dying meant fewer souls for him in his underworld. And so Zeus got mad and decided to kill Asclepius with one of his thunderbolts. But since he was half immortal, Asclepius got sent down to the underworld briefly, but he couldn't stay dead. His stay was only temporary. And he eventually rejoined the pantheon of the gods and goddesses on Olympia. Much of ancient Greek life was situated around the gods and goddesses. The ancient Greeks didn't just go to church on Sundays. They lived their lives according to whichever gods or goddesses felt active to them at the time, You know, making offerings and worshiping them and being in their cults. And so one of these cults was the cult of Asclepius. The worshipers of Asclepius built temples to him, and they were places for worship, but they were also places for healing. There were hundreds of these Asclepian temples scattered throughout Greece, and they lasted for almost a thousand years in some places. And these temples were amazing. They were always built in some kind of a beautiful place with lots of fresh air and near sources of fresh water because they would use hot and cold baths, almost like a spa for purification and for healing. The temples had a lot of other perks too. They were really these big complexes where people could come and they had exercise facilities and they had places for massage, really healthy food. Uh, They did hypnosis there, they did astrological readings. They believed a lot in the healing power of the arts, and so they had a lot of music and poetry and theater. In fact, the most famous Asclepian temple was at Epidaurus, and even now, thousands of years later, the stone amphitheater where they had their plays is still exists, and you can still attend the theater there. That's on my bucket list for sure. So when you lived in ancient Greece and you got sick, You know, you might go to the local healers first, but if they couldn't fix you, then what you did is you went on a pilgrimage to one of the Asclepian temples. So you took yourself out of your normal life and traveled, sometimes far distances, to one of these healing complexes. You were allowed to stay as long as you wanted to, regardless of socioeconomic status. So basically, this was like the first uh, first nationalized healthcare system that we know of. And you were encouraged to take advantage of all of these holistic kinds of medicine to restore your health and your balance. Not to cure you, though. You were supposed to stay there for days or weeks or however long it took eating this good food and exercising and filling your mind with the arts and taking advantage of whatever other amenities you needed so that you would be ready for the culmination of your pilgrimage, which would happen on the last night, which was your dream cure. And that was the main purpose of coming to an Asclepian temple for healing. The pilgrims that made the made the journey came to seek healing through a dream. All of the Holistic medicine that we've talked about was to prepare the patient for a night of what they called incubation in the temple, where they would sleep in the very sacred temple space of Asclepius and await a dream or a vision from him that would confer some kind of cure on them. Sometimes the patient was cured right when they awoke Sometimes they dreamed about a course of therapy or what they were supposed to do to be cured. But after this night of incubation in the temple, the patient would talk to the Asclepian priest who were actually called therapeutes, which is where we get our word for therapy today. But the priests weren't therapists as in we're going to heal you. The priests were the people who helped to connect you to Asclepius and helped you determine whatever the meaning was of your dream. And then the priest would record the symptom and the dream and the cure. And some of those records still exist. And clearly, a lot of people were healed. One of the things that people would do is they would leave offerings that were often statues or carvings of whatever body part had been cured for them and if you go online and look up Asclepian temples you can see all of these arms and legs hung on a wall and some eyes and some ears you know statues of them Um, and this is how the people memorialized and thanked Asclepius for their cures. I said this tradition spanned almost a thousand years. And so as time went on, what we would think of today as more scientific medicine was advancing as well. And so in some of the temple locations, there would be physicians as well to help even to do procedures or surgery. And so there would be some dream cures and some physical cures there. But still, these Asclepian temples were dedicated to the god Asclepius and his healing powers. And so I find the success of this form of therapy really interesting. I mean, can you imagine you are living somewhere where the local healers can't heal you, and so you have to stop your life, put everything on hold, and make this journey And so you've already taken yourself out of your everyday life and away from whatever stresses or pressures or unhealthy influences are there. And you get to spend time at this spa and get massages and get hypnotized and eat good food and hear beautiful music and soak in hot springs. And so, yes, the Greeks attributed the cure to that last night spent dreaming in the temple, But really, I think the patient had already done a lot of work himself or herself in stepping out of normal life and really caring for their mind and their body for however long it took them to feel like they were ready to take that next step and sleep in the temple to get a dream. And I think that probably accounts for why a lot of this was successful, even in times when they didn't have a lot of advanced medicine, right? So it's no wonder that they could believe in these dream cures. And I also think that sometimes dreams can be healing and curative. You know, sometimes they really do let us look at things differently, even let us experience things differently. They can point out ways that we're unknowingly stressing ourselves out or worrying about the wrong things or looking at things with the wrong perspective. And sometimes that shift in perspective is what we need to heal ourselves. I mean, is that going to heal you from cancer? No, probably not. But it can heal you from a lot of the mental issues that plague people today, anxiety and depression and things like that. I guess I'm a doctor who believes a lot more in the mind-body connection than some do. And I think getting your mind in a healthy place and having your body in a healthy place like would have happened for these pilgrims at the Asclepian temples really would generate a lot of healing power. And I also really like how the healing power was still seen to be coming from the god, from the archetype, from this big, powerful source of healing. The priests weren't being all egotistical and being like, yep, I healed you. And neither were the doctors, at least at first, they were just using their connection to the God to be channels or conduits for that healing to go into the patients or the pilgrims. And I think modern doctors could probably learn a little bit from that. And I also think modern patients could learn from this too. In our culture, and I'm no exception, it's much easier to take a few pills than to take full responsibility for caring for yourself and your health, you know? How many of our health problems are really because we don't eat well and we don't exercise enough and we don't get good enough sleep? So this whole process of going on a pilgrimage and a journey and really focusing on your physical and mental health in order to be ready for the cure for your condition just seems like a really healthy way to look at it. Because if you're the patient, you have to see yourself as a whole person. You're not just a collection of symptoms or a diseased organ. And you have to think about all of those, what we sometimes think of as extraneous influences that affect our health. I often joke that between me and all my classmates, we could really run a good modern day Asclepian temple. I mean, I would be in on the dream interpretation and the dream cures. I have a classmate who would be great as the chef. I have another classmate who would do the massage and the body work. I have another classmate who would do the music and art therapy. Another that would be good at bringing in ritual and connection to nature. The director of the local community theater that we support has volunteered to do the the drama and the, the theater therapy. So maybe that'll be a retirement plan for us. Who knows? My husband would also like to help with being the chef, and uh, and he wants to grow the grapes for the wine, too. I hope this is a little example of how we can apply the knowledge of ancient cultures and the mythology of the Greeks even to our modern life. In our next mini-sode next week, I'm going to show you how we can apply dreams and symbols to the discussion of movies as we take a quick look at The Wizard of Oz, which I think is a movie that could be seen as a dream cure and a pilgrimage to an Asclepian temple. So stay tuned for that. As always, you can email me directly with dreams or comments at stuffofdreamspodcast at gmail.com. Head on over to my website, stuffofdreams.fireside.fm to find show notes and links. Thank you so much for listening, and if you liked it, I encourage you to tell a friend about it this week. Let's get more people fluent in the language of dreams. Bye for now, and I hope you dream tonight.